Hi there and welcome to Doxadeo Bloemfontein North. Thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoy the message. So it's my privilege today to share with you the second part of our generosity series. And uh, every year in all of Doxadeo we do this and uh, for all the English guys, um, the generosity is spelled wrongly intentionally. Um, so it's not, a, it's not a mistake, it's actually vision because this is generosity with a focus on the city. And uh, every year now for the, the past, I think it's nine years we've been doing this. And I think our discovery in, in the journey which actually activated it was the reality that in Doxodeo we believe that God called us to, to have a heart for the city. If you ask any Doxodeo leader, they will say, listen, we don't pastor a church, we pastor a city. That's the boundaries. That's what we aim for. We have a mandate. We carry a faith in our hearts for the city, not just for a local church. Although we understand the necessity and the importance of a local church, but it's the city. And uh, we, we discovered that in this journey, it, it's not just about having a heart for the city, but it's about doing something in the city, getting our hands dirty, getting involved in the areas where there's need and where there's struggle. And many times the areas where there's neglect, where nobody's taking responsibility. And we've always felt the call of God to get involved in those areas. And uh, it, it's literally, it became the picture of saying that we want to trust God to have capacity to be generous in the city, not just in the church, but in the city. And to do that, we established this fund that we call the Generosity Fund. And every year, uh, we do this series with two purposes. The first one is to just again stir our hearts in terms of our faith for the city and our heart for the city and also to celebrate all the things that has already happened in the city and that, that God has entrusted to us and that we are stewarding in the city. So it's, it's actually just stirring that again. But on the other hand, it's also that moment that we're building up and I'm always uh, very honest and transparent about it, but it's going to come down to a moment where Abel will be standing here in front and he's going to ask you whether you will be willing to contribute towards this fund. And uh, the way that we've been doing it is to say that uh, we, we trust God that it will not be our tithes or our percentage giving or whatever you give in a month regular towards the church, but it will be something on top of that. And as a family, many years ago when we did it the first time, uh, as a family in, in my previous life, those of you who've known me for a while, um, I really loved pizza. I mean, pizza was like high on the priority list. And uh, we decided as a family, once a month, we would have had our big pizza evening and we decided we will stop doing that and we're going to sacrifice that money to actually contribute to this fund and over the over the years that has now grown and every year we've we've seen larger faith of the family coming in and saying we, we're gonna gonna sacrifice a bit more towards this fund because we're seeing God work and it's because of people with a faithful faithful life sacrificing something towards the benefit of 
of the city. And that's what we're asking. It's not, it's not a channeling of your existing giving, but it's something on top of that. And we're going to give you that opportunity. And of course, there's no obligation or pressure. It is only for those people that really felt something stir in their hearts during this series. And uh, we are going to do that again. And this year, um, so the first time we did this, uh, I think we our budget was about 400000 for the year. And that was a big faith leap for us to say we're going to trust God. And this past year in 2022, even though COVID um, did have implications, um, we saw a, a generosity fund of almost 1.6 million rand. And this year, we are trusting God for 2 million rand. And I always say this, and one year, I know it's going to happen. One year, I'm saying it every year. You'll hear me say it every year. One year, we I'm talking about this. Someone's going to put up their hands and say, Donnie, stop it. I have the two million rand. Uh, just go on. And uh, if you have the two million rand, please speak to me. I mean, I will, we'll, we'll just stop immediately. But if there's nobody with two million rand, if just 480 people, and there's a lot more in Doxadeo than that, if 480 people sacrifice 350 rand a month, then we have 2 million rand. And 350 rand, I mean, you walk into pick and pay, you can't even take two bags home uh, for 350 rand. So it's that little sacrifice that really makes it possible to run a whole lot of projects in this city. And uh, in, in this series, we're going to focus on three areas uh, uh, over the next three weeks. Today, faith for myself. Next week, faith for my neighbor. And last week, faith for our city. And uh, today, we, we're talking about this thing of faith for myself. And we're going to use the, the amazing story out of the book of John chapter 4 where Jesus meets a lady sitting next to the well and he starts a conversation with her and uh, I love the way that Eugene Peterson in the message uh, paraphrase translated this one little verse verse 10 it's on the screen as well when when he was having this conversation he said to this lady he said um, if you knew the generosity of God and who I am, you would be asking me for a drink and I would give you fresh living water. He was challenging her to say, you don't even have an idea about the generosity of the Father, how God looks at this. And last week we spoke about the four chapter gospel. It's not just about the sin and salvation, but it's also about creation, something that God dreamed about humanity and this planet. And, but it's also about the restoration of, of, of mankind as well as this, this planet. It's, it's precious to God. And we know that we play a role in this. Um, it's not just about going to heaven. It is about having influence on this planet and influencing people's lives and seeing the restoration that needs to take place of that original picture that God had of people and of this planet. And we are partakers in that and we work, we're co-laborers with God as we trust Him to see something established of His kingdom, kingdom right here in Bloemfontein in this season. And uh, as, as, we, as we journey through this, I think we are constantly going to be stirred by the fact that God is so generous to us in this uh, picture that we are busy with. So the most amazing thing about this story, and I suppose most of you know it, John chapter 4, Jesus is traveling, and then uh, um, he is, is uh, going through Samaria, and then sits at the well while the disciples, I suppose they were going to McDonald's uh, for lunch, and Jesus sits there alone, and then this lady pitches up. And Jesus stops at the one. He literally makes a moment. 
And whenever I read this story, I think there's something significant in this. In the fact that Jesus is actually in a space that's a bit, it's not very comfortable. It's, I, I was Friday, I went to Lenghao Center to uh, renew a car license. I don't know if you've been there recently. I mean, that's not the place where you get up in the morning and you say, I can't wait to go there. You know, this is going to be so amazing, renewing my car license, because you're standing in rows and it's terrible and nothing works. And it's, it's really, it's, it's a mess. And as I was standing there still working on my sermon, I, I felt like, you know, this is exactly the moment in which Jesus was in this story. It, it's, a, it's not a very comfortable moment. It's not as if it's in his familiar circumstances. It's actually a, a bit out of the, the comfort zone. And he's, and, but the fact is, Jesus saw the possibility, even in this very weird circumstances, to stop and sit and talk with one person. And I think it reveals something of the heart of God. And as this lady pitches up there with a, with a, a bucket ready to draw from the well, um, Jesus opens a conversation with her in terms of water. And the beauty of the story is that this lady, although she felt she's prepared to come get water and Jesus doesn't even have a bucket to get water and he's asking her for water, suddenly the conversation flipped around and it was this lady discovering that she has a thirst that's way bigger than just water. And she discovers that Jesus is actually the solution to all the brokenness that she's carrying. Because this lady, like us, has her own unique brand of brokenness. She pitches at noon while all the other ladies were there early morning. And ladies went together traditionally in those days, to get water. It was something of a, of a community affair. But this lady, late in the day, alone arrives there. And you can see the, the shame and the embarrassment in her life because she's not part of the community. She's actually an outcast. And, and there's a whole lot of brokenness in her life as she pitches up there. And then Jesus starts speaking to her. And she should have actually been very, very cautious about the fact that he's a Jew and there shouldn't be contact, contact between the Samaritans and the Jews. But she's so desperate that she actually opens this conversation. And then this conversation goes deep into her own life, even to the level of her deepest embarrassment. But the beauty is that God sees the individual and he stops and he gives time to sit and open the conversation and to talk about the realities of this lady's life. I mean, that is what we would have expected of a savior. But Jesus leads her beyond her own capacity to come and get water to a place where she discovers that she has a thirst much bigger than just the water of this well. And, and we see how, how uh, Jesus literally, he says the following to her, um, he says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and I have to come, keep coming here to draw water. Jesus just draws her into this conversation. I think it's so important to understand that God sees us as individuals and He works with us 
as individuals. He works with each one of us in terms of our own little shame, our own little brokenness, the brand of brokenness that we carry. And any person sitting here today that has not yet experienced this personal conversation, this personal meeting with Christ, is missing out on the reality of the gospel because it's not just the Savior of the world coming to save everybody. It is Jesus and one person. And when we talk about a city and we talk about God journeying with us, we must never, ever lose the heart for the one person, for the one that we might consider the, the outcast, that we might consider the embarrassment. Because when Jesus looks at this woman, he sees more than just a woman. The second thing he sees, he sees a city. He sees a whole community. And what one, someone said to me once, he said, you know, Donnie, God never looks at a person and just sees a person. He sees us in connectedness because that's the way he made us so that we will be connected with, with a lot of people. Whether that's good connections or bad connections, we are all connected. We are part of, of some community. We're part of some influence. And the way that Jesus opens this conversation, not too deep in the conversation, he says to her, bring your husband. <laughs> And then it's this awkward moment of her saying, it's not really my husband and it's not the first one. And it's this very deep, awkward, broken moment. But the beauty of this is that she gets up and she goes back to the town and she invites people to say, come, listen to the, this guy. He knows everything about me. I mean, I would have expected just out of pure logic that this woman would have gone back to the town and say, listen, I just want to yawn you. There's a guy there at the well and he knows everything about everyone. Don't go there. This guy is actually going to point out all your sin and brokenness. So stay away from him. But what happened with this lady? The moment that she connected with Christ, she, ex she experienced the acceptance of God. She experienced the love of God. She experienced the fact that there's something that can change her life. And that motivation makes her go back to the people and say, you won't believe it. Someone knows everything about you. Come listen to him. And Jesus sees the whole community. He sees the potential of this lady, the outcast, the one coming to the well alone. He sees the potential in her to reach a whole community. And I think that's significant. I think it's significant in the journey of a city to understand that God sees the individual, but that God looks behind me and he sees the influence and he sees the family and he sees generations of people being influenced by the good news of the gospel. And he sees me as a pivotal point in terms of the transition and the transformation that he wants to create in other people's lives. It's not just about the individual. It's about our connectedness. And it can so easily happen that we start looking at ourselves in a way that's saying that I am disqualified, you know, and I'm just so early in this journey and I can do nothing to God for God and I can do nothing for His kingdom, you know. I just get up in the morning, go to work, come back tonight. I am just surviving in life. That's who I am. And God picks the person that's actually at that moment the worst survivor in that community and it says, I want to use you. <laughs> I want to use you to impact this community. He sees more in you than just you. But you see, Jesus is after one moment. He's after one moment with every individual and with every community. 
And that moment in, in, the, in the way that John explains the gospel is so beautiful. I think it is, it is one of probably the most beautiful um, moments in the gospels. As you see Jesus connecting with this lady, and it's very interesting, um, uh, this lady, although she's broken and embarrassed and cast out and full of sin and terrible, her whole life is broken, she has a few theological opinions, I mean, isn't it amazing? You know, sometimes the people that has the biggest problems also has the biggest <laughs> opinions. Uh, it's like one day I preached you know, in an in, in Afrikaans meeting and the, uh, one of the elderly guys came to me and he said, Donnie, no, it was a great sermon and everything. He says, but I'm actually like an old Afrikaans translation man. And I thought, I've never heard anybody kind of associate with like a specific Bible translation in that way. And he could see like the, the question on my face. And he said, you know, Donnie, I don't read the Bible a lot. But when I read the Bible, I read the old Afrikaans translation because that's the original Bible. And I thought, there's so much confusion in that little sentence. I'm going to take a week to kind of analyze this and just figure it out. Because Afrikaans is not the Bible. The, Jesus did not speak Afrikaans. <laughs> So that's good news for us. <laughs> and I mean, it's not the original language, it's not the original Bible, and it's just, every translation is just a human effort. It's just, a, it's just trying to put something in the hands of people to actually understand the Word of God and never elevate one above the other. But I was going through all of this. But the next moment I realized, this guy just admitted, I don't read the Bible, but I do have an opinion. <laughs> And, and this lady is exactly the same because in this conversation, see, she's now endeavoring in, in discussing with Jesus where worship should take place. I mean, she's got so much embarrassment in her life, but she's, she's like, you know, a, a, a real fundy when it comes to theological understanding. But it's so beautiful and Jesus allows it and he opens the conversation and then in this conversation, there's, there's that moment in verse 25 when the woman says, yes, I know the Messiah, that this, this called Christ is coming. And, and, and she's heard that. And of course, in, in the way that she's, she'd, she's heard the story from, from God's people in those days, she understands something of that. And, and she says, when he comes, he will explain everything to us, kind of hoping that that will end the argument. And then Jesus declared, and this is the, the moment. I am the one speaking to you. I mean, what a moment. It's not just the one he connects to. It's not just the many he sees. It's that moment when this lady discovers he is the one. That is the moment that we say faith is born. This lady looked at Jesus and realized He's the one. He's the Messiah. He's the one that actually comes to us. And then she goes to the town and she invites people and they come. And many of them come to faith because of this. But it's that moment that faith is born in our hearts. It is the moment that we, that everything we are suddenly is impacted by everything that Christ is. And all of reality changes because of that. That's what happens when faith is born. And the beauty of this moment is that it's not just this lady putting her faith in Christ. It is Jesus putting his faith in her. And it's almost every time I read the story, it's that one little sentence that catches my heart, discovering that sometimes God believes 
in me in a bigger way than I actually believe in him. Because he looks at her and he sees potential. And he sees transformation. And he sees the spreading of the gospel. And he sees life in this package of disaster. But that is what makes him savior. And I think the, the biggest challenge in our journey of working in the city and having a heart for the city and understanding the significance of our lives is to allow God to also reveal to us not just our faith in Him, but His faith in us as He dreams about our lives. And we are so easy to disqualify ourselves and say, you know, I'm too, it's too early in the journey and my life is too big a mess and I want to promise you, if ever a story gives you hope, this story should. Because God is looking at us in a different way. And He sees that moment of faith happening in us as something that will change the way that we live. Not just wait for heaven. And that's the heart of this series. Do we believe that faith in Christ changes man's eternal destiny. Yes, we believe it. But do we believe that going to heaven is the first and the most important priority for a Christian? Then we say, no, it's not. Because just to say it, baptism would have looked different in the Christian church. You know, we take people in baptism and then we dunk them in the water <laughs> and then we take them out because we want them to live. If we believe that heaven was the most important thing. Baptism would have just been immersing them in the water and not taking them out because that would have been then a very successful exercise. I mean, you get saved, you go to heaven. Who wants to get baptized? <laughs> Short list. Not, very, not a lot of people putting up their names because this makes the gospel very real. But the beauty of baptism is exactly that, that the moment that we put you in the water, God takes you out of the water because now you will live a new life. And that life is lived right here on planet earth with our food firmly put on, on Bloemfontein soil. God dreams about our lives here. He dreams about the reality that we can bring the newness of the gospel that just happened in us and we can influence the world in which we live with that newness. That's why we live a new life. That's why God's not taking us to heaven. That's why this lady has the potential that the moment in faith, she puts her faith in Christ, something returns and backfires in her own heart as she discovers God's calling over her life. And sometimes we as Christians are so well educated and well versed in our understanding of going to heaven. But we fall way behind and we lack so much in terms of our understanding of living right here on planet earth with this new treasure of, of Christ's work in us. And it's exactly for that reason that Paul writes this book of Ephesians. And one of my favorite books in the Bible, as Paul just introduces to us this new orientation of new life, what it looks like when you look at the, in the mirror after 
putting your faith in Christ and you look in the mirror and you see yourself out of a faith perspective, not just your, your faith in Him, but His faith in you. The way that God literally believes that the cross was a success and that changes who you are. And Paul writes this and he, and he starts by saying, verse 1 or verse 3 from chapter 1, he says, Praise be to God our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. What is he saying? He's saying, guys, Ephesians, Bloemfontein. So many of us, like the woman at the well, still lives within the old Adamic perspective of I am just broken. I am just damaged. I am just sinful. I am actually cursed. Because if you read Genesis and you understand Adam's life, many times that is our only reference. And Paul is saying that the moment you put your faith in Christ, his faith returns to change your life. And there's a faith that you need to carry in terms of who you are. You are no longer cursed. You are blessed. The reality of the gospel is it changed your identity from being cursed to being blessed. I am the blessed of God. My life reveals the abundance of His blessing. Every blessing God has given to us. That is something that challenges our identity. When He goes into verse 4, He says He chose us. Um, from before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. He predestined us for adoption to sonship. This lady at the well, broken, cast out, damaged, embarrassed. God says, the moment that you put your faith in Christ, you become chosen. You become God's holy people. You become the ones that actually associates with, not just in terms of a far remote control relationship, but He introduces you, He includes you into being sons of God. The title that Jesus carried, you are included in that. Not just this son. But the sons, that's who you are. That's the reality of your identity. Verse 7, he says, in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sin. The riches of his grace. And I love the English translation that says that he lavished on us. If you have boys, you have to teach them about lavishing like aftershave on themselves. Usually when they start using aftershave, they lavish themselves. And then you say, listen, guy, don't, don't go that far. But you know what? When God looks at my life, He says, I'm lavishing you with my grace. That literally means that the, the abundance of the Father, the generosity of the Father, literally covers everything in your life with His grace. That's what it means to be lavished with His grace. And I still live in this, in this mindset of being disqualified and not good enough. And God, you will use other people and you can use the pastor or you can use another Christian, but not me. I'm not the one. And Jesus looks at the lady at the well and he sees, you are the one because I am planning on lavishing you with my grace. Verse 11 says, we are chosen. 
we are included in Christ. We are marked with a seal that is the promise of the Holy Spirit. That is who we are. That is the language of redemption. That is the identity of a faithful Christ follower. We are God's people. And God is dreaming about us changing this world. You see, as Jesus in Revelation 21 verse 5 ascends the throne and then says the following, I'm making all things new. He reveals God's agenda. That's what God's busy with on this planet. Why is that important for us to understand? You see, if that's God's agenda, and God is saying all of these, these things about us, we must understand that we are the carriers of that agenda. We literally carry the transformation of Christ, as Paul writes it, as a treasure in this clay jar. We discovered the one. And now we take the one to the world. We sit next to the one. We connect to the one in our workplace. We connect to our neighbor. We connect to the brokenness of the city. We walk into the embarrassment that is in the city and we take this good news to the city. That is God's heart for us. But to have that heart, I need to understand the faith for myself. I need to understand the way that God looks at me and dreams about my life and sees potential where I don't even see it. And I understand the realities of life and understand that most of us sitting here today, your biggest struggle is just, just surviving in life. But God has called you to way more than survival. He's called you to significance. He's called us to sacrifice. He's called us into this place where we are His agenda in the world. When Paul writes to the, to the church in Thessalonica, he says, he says, you have become the message. What a beautiful picture. It's not just hearing the message. It's becoming the message. And that is faith for yourself. If you say disqualified, God says qualified. If you say excluded, He says included. When you say broken and damaged, He says holy and chosen. If you say I can't, He says you can. Because I believe in the work of the cross way more than you believe. That is the heart of God for faith for yourself. And today, when we do generosity, we are in this bold up towards generosity. We need that faith. You see, it's not about just saying, I'm not going to eat pizza anymore. The 350 rand is not the thing. The 1,000 rand is not going to do the job. It's faith. It's faith that's going to do it. The moment that we say, if we sacrifice, it is out of this belief. We are God's agenda for transformation in this world. We're going to celebrate communion today.
And I know there's a very traditional picture of communion. We come forward, we take the bread and wine, and we thank God for what Jesus did, and it's beautiful, and I love it, and that's the way it should happen. And it's beautiful when it happens in communion. You can do it alone as well, but in communion it's beautiful because that's the way I think it's intended to be. But you know, there's a picture in this, in this table, a picture of newness, because the bread symbolizes new life for you. The wine symbolizes the purity and the holiness that God has given you because of your faith in Christ. And I want to invite you today, not, do not come and just say, Jesus, thank you for what you did for me. I want to ask you whether you would come and take and partake in communion and take that bread and realize, I am the bread now as I go into the city. It's not just Jesus. I am the bread. And I carry this message of salvation and wholeness. And I carry this hope that is in His blood, in this new covenant. And will you, will you take this communion today, not just as one that is filled with gratefulness toward what He has done, but as a mirror of who you are. Because if you come sit at this table, you say, I'm invited. This is my table. This is the table of my father. I'm going to have a meal with dad. And my father says, I give you an inheritance in this world. Go out and lavish my grace on this world. It's not just a table of brokenness. It's a table of potential. God sees potential. And will you come and ask God to give you a new faith for yourself. In the way you look at yourself. In the way you see God's potential in your life. In the way God sees a community of relationships and connections behind you. That He's dreaming about influencing and impacting through the gospel. Will you please stand with me as we're going to pray and then ask God to meet us today as we celebrate communion. Father, thank you so much that we can today as a church come and celebrate the fact that Christ is the one. That He's the one that changed our life, that renewed us, that made everything new in us. But God, today as we celebrate communion, will you give us new eyes for our own lives? Will you generate a faith in us? Will you activate something in us? As sure as, as faith in you saves us so much, faith that you have in us activates us to be co-laborers in this amazing kingdom building exercise. Lord, change our hearts as we today celebrate Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. If you would like to know more about us, you can visit our website or follow us on social media at Doxadeo Bloemfontein North. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. See you next time.